in there, perform and deliver. Respect, last count, Corda. It will be one sentence and I am responding. What a load of spin and nonsense. He has only challenged my personality and pointed out my gender. And cop on a small bit, Taoiseach. Welcome to the Polling Station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a little bit easier to grasp. So this week we're going to be delving into the life and the recent headlines of one of the most important men in recent British politics, which is Dominic Cummings. He's the former Mm -hmm. political advisor to the current Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. And he was back in the news last week after coming before the Health Committee and he kind of revealed some really stark really kind of shocking things that's kind of it's going to put in jeopardy Boris Johnson so we're going to be looking at like what exactly came out of this hearing who exactly he is his early campaign and kind of why is he how come he's become such a consequential figure in British politics in such a short amount of time so suppose we kind of go back to to start off Amy we just got to go back not even that like not even that far to when he came before a COVID health committee about his time in Downing Street. Now, he had recently stepped down as his position as one of the senior political advisors to Boris Johnson and kind of his involvement in the handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. And basically, he revealed, I think, that... Uh, uh, sent, like, it was it was like watching a film. <laughs> Just like, boom, here's a, like, boom, here's here you go. Boom, drop the mic. Crazy. There's so many things that he said that was shocking and kind of people were like, oh God, like what is going to happen? But look here, we kind of put together a few bits that kind of, we, you know, what he said was the most, we felt was the most shocking. So here is Dominic Cummings. I've come through here to the, tell Morris said, I've come through here to the Prime Minister's office to tell you all, quote, I think we are absolutely fucked. I think this country is heading for a disaster. I think we're going to kill thousands of people. In, in February, the Prime Minister regarded this as um, just a, a scare story. He, he regarded, he d- described it as the new swine flu. Did you tell him it wasn't? C- certainly. But the view of various officials inside Number 10 was, um, if we have the Prime Minister chairing Cobra meetings and he just tells everyone, it's swine flu, don't worry about it, I'm going to get Chris Whitty to inject me live on TV with coronavirus so everyone realises it's nothing to be frightened of, Trump wants us to join a bombing campaign in the Middle East tonight. And we need to start having meetings about that through the day with COBRA as well. So everything to do with COBRA that day was on COVID was completely disrupted because you had these two parallel sets of meetings. You had the national security people running in and out talking about, are we going to bomb the Middle East? And we had the COVID, the COBRA meeting being delayed and whatnot, as we were trying to figure out, are we going to do household quarantine? Um, and then to add to the, it sounds so surreal, it couldn't possibly be true. That day, the Times had run a huge story about the Prime Minister and his girlfriend and their dog. And the Prime Minister's girlfriend was going completely crackers about this story and demanding that the press office deal with that. The cabinet, we're talking about the herd immunity plan. The Cabinet Secretary said, Prime Minister, you should go on TV tomorrow and explain to people the herd immunity plan and that it's like the old chickenpox parties. We we need people to get this disease because that's how we get herd immunity by September. It is completely crazy that I should have been in such a senior position, in my personal opinion. I'm not smart. I've not 
builds great things in the world. Um, it, it's just, it, it's completely crackers that someone like me should have been in there, just the same as it's crackers that Boris Johnson was in there and that the choice at the last election was Jeremy Corbyn. I feel like that says more than we ever could. I mean, I think the most shocking thing is like the tens of thousands of people died who didn't need to. I mean, you know, there was That's a story in the, in the British in the British headlines a few weeks ago about how Boris Johnson had said, oh, let the bodies pile up. And kind of that statement almost reflects what, like that alleged Boris Johnson saying the statement didn't say, yet BBC, ITV and other like reliable media sources are saying that Boris Johnson did say. And basically yeah. what Cummings said is very similar so I think the fact that, you know, and if you are that person who lost someone due, due to, co- exactly. Yeah, that's hard. What? It's hard to hear. And even the fact that he was like, listen, it was people like me that like just fell, fell short of the standards that people should expect from office. It was very like, like I was surprised that he, like he did a bit kind of, tr- kind of try to cover his own bum, but he did be like, here, listen, lads, I was, I was a part of it as well. Uh, and like, that's like, pretty I don't know it's a bit crazy to hear and he very much like as well went in at Boris Johnson like literally was like he was like made so many allegations against him that like literally saying that like he like like reiterating the bodies pile high statements that he said that um that like he was saying that like the coronavirus was like the new swine flu or just a scare story and that this is a bit that I was like what that he was going to go on live tv to be injected with the virus so everyone could see was something to be frightened of felt very black mirror to me it felt very black mirror I was like what as someone who hasn't seen black mirror I I know what you mean it's the vibes it's the the vibe bit dystopian bit like you're like oh no surely this like is not real it couldn't have happened kind of thing and I think like that's nearly these statements that he's coming out are so sensational they're so like oh my god it's genuinely nearly hard to believe that it happened and that's it, it is kind of shocking but some people will be like oh what do you expect yeah but it, it's kind of like the committee focused on like the early days of the pandemic so obviously you know people were talking about covid in january you know when it started when the situation started to get incredibly severe in wuhan at the time and then obviously it hadn't affected europe as badly now mm-hmm. and Boris Johnson, you know, Dominic Cummings was saying Boris Johnson wasn't coming to any of the COBRA meetings, which is essentially their equivalent of NEFIT in Ireland. So, to you know, to talk about like a possible solution, but, you know, like Amy said, they just pass it off. As, ah, this is swine flu, you know, I'll yeah. get it injected alive on TV. <laughs> and even the health secretary, Matt Hancock, like he really went in on Matt Hancock as well. And said that he like had criminal behavior, disgraceful behavior, because he like held back like coronavirus tests and meddled in F- and meddled in like an effort to build a mass testing system in order to meet to quote <laughs> Dominic Cunningham's quoting Matt Hancock a stupid pledge, and it's just and like even like I thought it was really interesting. He was talking about how like Boris Johnson supposedly didn't fire Matt Hancock because he wanted him to be a fall guy for later on. And I was like, interesting dynamics, very not quoting another TV show, Game of Thrones-esque, very like, yeah, it's just, it's like, it's just like you think if someone was the health secretary in um, the most crucial time in modern history to be health secretary, that if they were falling down or health minister even, if they were falling down, you'd be like, no, we need to get them out of there rather than for them to be a fall guy at a later date when it was suited 
you more politically. Yeah, it definitely it, it definitely does feel like that you know Matt Hancock was just waiting to be the fall guy and like you know coming sp- speaks about like Amy said it was like 15 or 20 times there was consider removal or like to fire Matt Hancock and it's just even like when you hear about like the delays and bringing in a first lockdown because they believed oh the UK public they won't believe that they won't get behind this this is very much you know kind of an autocratic Chinese you know Chinese government type style of suppressing the virus but it wasn't until the 23rd of March that they brought it in, you know, which is actually even a few days after we did, from what mm. I can remember anyway. And then even, I think, herd immunity has just been kind of brought along. And I think, you know, as vaccines are all now, yada, 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 everyone's like, oh, herd immunity. But like Boris Johnson was talking about this before oh. it even happened. And I think the most worrying thing was the chicken pox <laughs> party <laughs> reference. <laughs> Because I actually, when I was like reading about like all these like Donna Cunning's allegations and all stuff like this, I actually remember watching, I think it was this morning on ITV and Boris Johnson talking about herd immunity way back before it and like talking about chicken pox. And I was like, flashbacks, like literally saying like, well, this is what the allegations were that he said that like people could like have like things like, you know, how kids have chicken pox parties when one kid gets chicken pox to give it to all the kids because it's obviously so much less serious when you're a kid than when you're an adult just to get it that like they could start having like herd immunity by doing something similar for COVID, which like that's crazy. <laughs> like imagine COVID parties. I just they could just completely it would just be terrible. Like they completely underplayed it. And there was even issues with regards to obviously it's horrific that nearly every country has had issues you know we saw it as well in in america and now obviously in ireland but as well the uk with relations to nursing homes and you know officials going in and not being tested like and again nursing homes were just pillaged in the early starts of the pandemic before you know before vaccines roll out and it's it's horrific the amount of lives that were lost and like there was an incredibly high death rate at one stage in the uk and if you're one of those family members, if you're, if you've, or it's a friend or, you know, a loved one in your life, if you've lost them because of COVID, you, you're going to want Boris Johnson and Matt, Matt Hancock to answer. But it was kind of, it was, it was, I was almost surprising in a way that, well, not really, but I suppose like the fact that Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings were buddy buddy for so long. And then he's not only giving out saying he, you know, he's not fit to run office that, you know, the public shouldn't have to, shouldn't have had to choose between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn in the 2019 election. And then he even went on to give out about Kerry Simons, Simons, Simons. his new new bride just at the weekend there. Yeah. That he was like saying that she was part of the problem. It's very, it did feel very personal. It did like a lot, like, like especially that aspect of it. Yeah. That he was like even giving out about his like now, his now wife, yeah, it was very... He was essentially saying that one day there's a thing where, you know, Donald Trump, when he was president at the time of America, was contacting, you know, Downing Street with regards to, bombing, you know, possible bombings in the Middle East and so on. But the, on the other side of Downing Street, within the building itself, Boris Johnson's wife, Kerry Simons, was stressing out about some story about a dog or something like that. And that's what the Times ran with. And he just said it was completely bizarre and that she herself was a bit bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some allegations as well that, like, she used her influence to get friends and other kind of acquaintances, people that she knew, high profile positions within the COVID-19 response and of the government units and stuff like that. Um, yeah, like he kind of, I was going to say insinuation, but he didn't really insinuate. He kind of clearly like <laughs> said that she had like too much of an influence over government business. 
Yeah, so it, like Amy said, it was completely personal and there was very few people he didn't go personal with. Uh, Matt Hancock obviously, you know, did not come out well in that. I think anyone saw like the news clip of him the following day, he was running past his apartment and I, someone asked him a question. He was like, oh, well, it's great. People, you know, over 35 or over 30 can now register to be vaccinated. I was like, you've just I, been ripped to shreds. He literally just dropped that like, like, oh, you get your vaccine and like ran off into the distance. <laughs> like literally as he'd been ripped to shreds for not only his like handling of the pandemic, but also like the fact that like he seemed not to have any influence within government. He was just waiting to be this fall guy. And he just like ran off into the distance as journalists were chasing him. It was bizarre. It was so bizarre. And there was one, I suppose like one of the very few was Rishi Sunak, who is the chancellor of the Exchequer, basically... Didn't really, I don't know. I think it's kind of a lot of people are saying, and I would tend to agree. This is kind of, I think Dominic is looking to back him as, you know, possible, mm-hmm. P, you know, future PM if like if COVID is the downfall of Boris Johnson, which after these revelations, it very well could be. Mm-hmm. Rishi Sunak had a very popular rating within, you know, the Tory party and conservatives alike. So he could very well. But I think it's also as well, I think it's important to mention that throughout this this hearing that he also mentioned the time when he broke COVID regulations at the time and travelled over 250 kilometres to Durham to visit his family when him and his wife had possible COVID, COVID. symptoms. Mm-hmm. And this was like, the, this was like their golf gate, I think. Oh, it was. It was. Like, I think there's literally been studies showing, like, the cunning effect of, like, how people got less compliant about the regulations in, in the UK after he did this. Oh, completely. And this like Boris Johnson stood by him and was like, you know, he had to look after his his sick family and like him and his wife have a four year old son. And that's why they went to get the their his child to their grandparents. But then his eyes were like, it was just the most bizarre story that you just couldn't believe it's something to do with, you know, his eyesight was going he had to go for an eye test and all this. And then he was well with like just completely all over the place, quite frankly. And yeah. In the Rose Garden interview that, you know, Dominic Cummings did, he didn't really apologise. He said that's because him and his family were getting threats. But it's just weird, the relationship that has now, like, transitioned or kind of Mm -hmm. got, it's gone from that where Boris Johnson is, you know, vehemently standing up for his advisor and so on to Dominic Cummings essentially throwing him under the bus. Yeah. And this political bomb just dropped on him and his career and his future within the Tory party. I think loads of people know who... Dominic Cummings is but a lot of people don't know where he came from he just is this man that I feel like landed in which is strange for a special advisor to be such a public figure like obviously they're super influential within parliament in Ireland too like special advisors are super all over the world super influential but the public don't really get to know them so he's an interesting dude yeah no he definitely is and he comes from like very humble beginnings as they all do you know his dad... <laughs> I love it <laughs> you know his dad was in construction his mom was a teacher you know he went to school in Dur- Durham but he did you know which was a private school and he did eventually go to Oxford University yeah as well. so, so not he too was humble the... yeah but like humble in in the sense uh, 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 humble uh, as much I feel as the political class is humble he came from humble just... beginnings 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he, even though he didn't study politics, he, you know, he then went on to work as a campaign director for the business for Sterling. And this was kind of like from 1999 to 2002. And this is when, you know, the UK was considering whether or not to join the Eurozone. And obviously they didn't because Dominic Cummings, shock horror, is a huge Eurosceptic. Yeah. So this is kind of... <laughs> very very integral to this campaign and making sure it wasn't going ahead and then this kind of led to his ascension then into the conservative party you know he became director of strategy under duncan smith for eight months well that didn't go so well for him it was a bit like shaky you know he ended up leaving after a very short time Mm. he called duncan smith incompetent (laughs) and like it's not the first time he's had run-ins with leaders of the tory party like David Cameron has not been a fan. Yeah. Called him a career psychopath and not had some nice words about him. So it's very hard. He wouldn't consider himself an outright Tory or, you know, that kind of conservative. He actually has never joined the Conservative Party. So he's never become a member of the Conservative Party, which is really, really interesting. Like the fact that he is such, he's been such an integral person for shaping what we now know the Conservative Party to be, but he never joined it. I just think that's really interesting. And I suppose, like, it is really interesting. Like, how could you be so integral to one of the biggest parties and you're pushing these, especially, like, the Eurosceptic Tories, like, you know, mm-hmm. and I suppose that's where people started. Notice him. Exactly. Was the Leave campaign. Yeah, the Leave campaign. Because, like, even, like, he'd so much Euroscepticism, skepticism? Skepticism in him. Like, the, the Business for Sterling campaign. And then he also founded, like, after he finished up with the conservatives under duncan smith he founded at the new frontiers foundation which was a free market a euroskeptic think tank which you know is something that actually grew out of the business for sterling and it was all kind of like writing papers against europe against like being a part of like the market in europe so like he'd been going on for ages about this and he was also a key figure in the north east says no which was a campaign run in the North the Northeast Regional Assembly in 2014 that was basically like just kind of like laid it laid the foundations of kind of all the stuff that he saw we saw in the Brexit like referendum that like they were like you know like like no keep away from like this like big centralization that we see in Europe like keep away from everything like that so yeah it was like i feel like it's literally like so his career was building towards the leave campaign all the time yeah and then it kind of even before we get to 2016 and almost reached a pinnacle or something like that you know who's came back into the political four after duncan smith was like no we're done and then he became an advisor to michael gove who was the education secretary at the time when the tories regained power under david cameron and like michael gove was one of the more shocking i suppose senior tory mps to go for to vote excuse me in in favor of uh, the leave campaign because obviously him and david cameron not only had a very good working professional relationship but also personal relationship you know even their wives were very close so it's kind of not surprising then that if you think about it that cummings was an advisor to him but even during that time like while he got on with gove you know he's praising you know other like very few members he's not always getting on with everyone within the Tory party and I think that what you, what goes to what you said I mean the fact that he's never even come in you know he's never even become a member of the Tory party or the Conservative party because not everyone likes him no no like literally like you're saying there Neve, like David Cameron like you alluded to earlier he came out saying that like he mentioned in this speech about people in the Tory party being career psychopaths and it was never confirmed that it was about um, Cummings, but everyone kind of assumed 
pretty I think made an educated assumption there and then also like he's had like a couple of bullying cases brought against him like when he by the time that he was like working within uh, the conservative party like in 2012 a senior female civil service was awarded 25,000 in a bullying case against Ed Conians and then also other members of the Michael Grove team as well and yeah he's just like yeah, very he's divisive the right word I don't even want to say divisive he seems to rub people up the wrong way like he's very direct and very doesn't seem to nuance is not it's not what he's about no exactly and like that didn't even just happen during that time when he was with Mike, when he was an advisor to Michael Gove, it happened like as recently as August of 2019, you know, when he dismissed the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, Sajid Javid, hit one of his Treasury special advisors. Javid didn't do it. Cummings did. And this then rubbed Javid up the wrong way, which led him to resign. And then we see, you know, Suna come in as it. So it's very, um, yeah, I think you're right, Amy. He doesn't, he, he's rubbing up people the wrong way. And even like how like influential that he was that he could basically fire the special advisor of like the chancellor of the executive, basically the finance minister, that he could fire that person and then subsequently get the the, the actual chancellor of the executive to resign. I'm like, why was that kind of influence? Like just crazy. But yeah, it's like he rubs, he seems to rub people up the wrong way and like very much seems to be a figure that people do not want to speak out well didn't in the past I guess when he had such influence within the party speak out against because some you could be on the chopping block yeah exactly and it's just it's also interesting because he like while he was around he hasn't been let around that long it's been very you know short-lived sporadic times within you know and I think possibly because maybe him and Boris Johnson share the same views and ideology with regards to leaving Brexit you know the leave campaign and I suppose Mm -hmm. that was kind of that was his public forum that became him this almost celebrity I don't want to say that but you know what I mean like just this well like you said Amy like people don't know political advisors I can't like unless you're within the circles it they're not they shouldn't be this well should be this well known they shouldn't have films they should not I'm telling you any anyone who's listen to this episode watch Brexit the Uncivil War it's on Netflix it's with Benedict Cumberbatch Channel 4 did it it's an excellent movie on how much this man was pinnacle to the Leave Mm -hmm. campaign and it was all the strategy of the Leave campaign like he is the man that came up with the like like a very much like talking about like that northeast regional assembly like northeast says no kind of campaign that he was in charge of like he used that was like similar tactics like that was the first time people were like you know voting against something and because of the the NHS increased money for the NHS like Dominic Cunnings was the person that like pioneered those like big trucks that were like you know vote leave for the NHS like this was all his brainchild and I think the most even the most crucial part of the entire campaign was take back control and that's what people were like they were like we want our sovereignty we want our waters back we want our borders back and that's that was the the term that used and like not only did the Eurosceptic Tories run with it Nigel Farage and the UKIP the Brexit party whatever party he's running at this stage they all got behind it as well and that's why he rung. That's essentially what led to the, it was crucial and what led to the margin, like the margin, the 52, 48. So mm-hmm. he was incredibly like, this is one man and he's just it's slightly alarming how one person can have so much influence over incredibly consequential, like Brexit, mm-hmm. one of the biggest decisions 
decisions that the UK public have voted for. Then you have the COVID-19 pandemic. Like these are, these should be like once in a generation things, but it's not. And he's been involved in both of them. (laughs) He's been involved in all of them. Yeah. Like I think like, like, like you were saying, need like take back control. Like that was, you have to give it to him. That was a, great slogan for that and it captured exactly the, the 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 what the feeling was on the ground and he tapped into that and his campaign was super successful the one that he thought of that he was the leading strategist for it and it, it won nobody thought they were going to win I still remember Boris Johnson coming out for that conference being like shocked after like they they won like their campaign won but he was always like I think like on a dodgy footing like like the leave campaign was actually found to have broken electoral laws over the spending limits by the electoral commission and Dominic Cunningham himself was held in contempt of parliament for failing to respond to summons to appear before them and give evidence to like their cultural media sports select committee um so he's always been a very like you were saying like he's like like controversy um scandals big things seem to like follow where he goes and it's interesting how back then he was like no i'm not going to, i'm not going in front of a committee i'm not doing it yet this time around he's happy he's happy to lay down all the tea all the secrets put two of the most two of the most powerful people in oh, uk God. politics during a pan- exactly i'm just like interesting when it suits you and like obviously like he did acknowledge his own faults like he said himself he was not smart enough for the job like imagine saying that. <laughs> like I know sometimes we all think we're not smart enough for certain jobs, but like a lot, a lot of our jobs aren't advising on public health or advising on on policy that could impact people's lives and livelihoods. Mm-hmm. And you were, and you admitted you you were not intelligent enough. It's it's just like so strange, or like even like he did this thing after the Tories won won the election, where he, there was this big like um he ran this big recruitment drive for people to like you know work in government like through his actually through his like private Gmail address as well, which even at that I'm like okay lot lot to unpack there, lot to unpack there. But he wrote in this like blog post that he wanted like data scientists, software developers, economists to help improve the performance of like the government. And he wanted to make his own role, which was special advisor to the prime minister, redundant within the year, which is, it's just, I just was like, what? I was like, I just find that I just, I'm still like, why did he do that? I don't know. Like, and even like he did that coupled with him saying he wasn't smart enough for his job. I'm like, but then he also comes across as this like very, I don't want to say egotistical because I don't know the man, but like he certainly comes across as like very influential mm-hmm. and very, you know, happy enough to throw the weight around and make decisions when it counts. But then he's saying he wants to make his role largely redundant and he's not smart enough. I'm like confused, confused. Very confused. I also think you're watching your back a bit because Matt Hancock is used to go ahead of the same committee that is led by Jeremy Hunt. And Jeremy Hunt is a Tory backbencher MP, but he was the fella who went up against Bojo in the 2019 leadership contest. I just think that's it. You know, so I think he, I think that's him just kind of looking down the line of, well, Matt Hancock's going to have to come before this committee and, you know, and answer a lot of questions about what this is going to do. And I think he's just saving his back. I really do think that's what it is. Like, it's not going to be the end of Dominic Cummings. He will be snatched up by the, I, I, Nigel Farage no. in some capacity. If he's still in British politics, I can't keep up anymore, to be honest with him. But he will be snatched up in some capacity, I can imagine. Like, he's not going away. And this issue is not going to go away. And I do think 
that I don't know if it's the downfall though of Boris Johnson. I'm going to be really. I just don't. I think we saw the the recent UK local elections. The the Conservatives are still wiping up elections. Labour had one of their shock horror, another really crappy election. And you can't blame Jeremy Corbyn for this this time. Keir Steimer's the leader. You but can't. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's just like they seem like. I don't know, because like I think, yeah, like like obviously, you know, Dominic, he left Downing Street, you know, it was apparently it was like following the decision of like one of his long term allies. Uh, he was the director of communications within Downing Street. The fact that they stood down, like apparently that's why Cunning's like left as well. Like we'll never really know the reason. And then, of course, there was a big scandal of him in, in Durham and kind of how his popularity fell. And like, I wonder, was Boris Johnson like, let's just cut ties. Let's just get him out. Is he going to bring me down? But I just, this is going to sound awful, okay, but I think like, he, I think what he's come out with is so sensational that you do believe it on one level. You do believe it because you are like, I feel like this could happen and that this is like Boris Johnson himself is such an eccentric character. But I think it's so hard to actually intellectually engage with it that people are just going to ignore it. I don't know, does that make sense? In that like, you, you're actually like, I do believe perhaps that Boris Johnson would go on live TV and be injected with the coronavirus to make it seem like it wasn't a big deal. But I just actually can't critically engage with that. So I just go to that. And I really don't think it's going to be the downfall of him. I really don't. I think people don't really care. That's going to sound awful. I think people don't really care. I think people are much more concerned about getting their life back from COVID. The COVID recovery is the big thing. I think the fact that the UK was... You know, when the EU and was having all the issues with AstraZeneca and like even in Ireland, we're expected to get less doses of J&J and all this crap that's going on within the EU and kind of the bureaucracy that entails it. You didn't have that in the UK. They were pumping out AstraZeneca out of Oxford. You know what I mean? Oh. They were they were working away. So that's why I think his approve, you know, Bojo's approval rating has gone up hugely. And I just and I think even recently, like there was a YouGov poll that said 55 percent don't believe Boris Johnson, but 75 percent don't believe Dominic Cummings. So there you go. Like, I'm sorry, like while a huge portion, like, and Boris Johnson, this is not like, obviously it's different this time around because people have died because of his actions. And if you're a person, Absolutely. like you will, but like, he is such a, he is like what people refer to him as the Trump because it's just like the Trump version, the UK Trump version. And like his sensationalism, it's, it's very akin to it. And we totally saw in it, like with Trump, like, all these sensationalist, horrible stories, you know, abuse allegations, rape allegations, all these things. And it didn't touch him. It didn't no. touch him. And it's very similar in like with Boris Johnson. That like people have died because of his behavior and you can't get away from that. But for some reason, it's not it's not reflected in people's voting patterns. Exactly. And like he's had allegations of homophobia, Islamophobia, racism, misogyny, like all these allegations, but it just doesn't seem to like concern his voters or, you know, certain Tory voters. And I do think it's really interesting that him and his fiance got, you know, married <laughs> just over the weekend. I just think as a bit of a PR stunt, I'm just, you know, <laughs> obviously they were always like, going to get married. I've seen hats on being like, it'd be like very opportune timing that like you would do this after this horrible scathing thing comes out and then release your lovely wedding photos. I don't know. It's a bit of, it does seem like a bit of a PR stunt. I know they're always going to get married and I know that, it, like you know, I'm sure, listen, that's their relationship. I'm sure they're very happy, but it just is like, it, it like came, seemed to come at like a perfect time for um, Boris Johnson. And I don't, 
no, are there such things as coincidences in politics, to be honest with you? No, because you're going to take every political capital you can get, quite frankly. Well, mm-hmm. that's what I would do if I was in politics anyway. And mm-hmm. the, but that's what they do. And I just think the consequences, I just don't know if that's going to ha- you know, we rarely see politicians face up to the consequences and what Boris Johnson has done. I just mm-hmm. don't think he's going to face up to the consequences of the hundreds, uh, like the hundreds of people who needlessly died and who didn't. Well, I just don't think he'll face it. Maybe unless there's criminal charges, even if that, I don't know, we don't know what the hell committee can do. And unless Dominic Cummings has the receipts, has physical evidence to prove that Boris Johnson said, let the bodies pile up, to you know which ITV yeah. and BBC and other outlets confirmed and that you know he said like I'm going to inject COVID into my arm oh this is like chicken pox it's like the swine yeah. flu and we're just going to delay it herd immunity unless there's physical evidence to say that I- I'd be skeptical of it and now maybe if there is I think there's you know you'd think you'd hope that justice would do its purpose and people who enact policies that kill so many innocent people mm-hmm. because of this disease that could, could was not controlled properly Exactly. And, you know, like Cunnings said that, you know, like they were getting all the advice telling them to close, you know, like close the country down, you know, close pubs that it just wasn't acknowledged. But I think taking aside what this kind of revelation might affect Boris Johnson's career, I one thing that I am like, oh, I wonder it'd be interesting to watch is do will the public realize more how so much of politics is actually not controlled by the elective representatives but in fact these kind of like obviously the civil servants in the mix but like people like Cunnings like special advisors and stuff like that that you'll never elect you you know like you'll never and like you're going to like it is kind of as when you elect a representative especially with special advisors you'd like to think that like you know like they'll have good judgment and pick good ones but like it really like all his kind of remarks and his stories and everything just really goes to show like how much of an influence these people have over policies and politics and I think it's kind of a thing that you know like you do know like when you think about it you're like oh yeah that makes sense I do know that but I think to see it so blatantly I just find that really interesting I wonder will special advisors become more of public figures yeah I do think that is actually a really interesting point because I even remember like at the start of the Trump presidency like we saw like I just think the obvious one is Betsy DeVos, you know, who's completely had no experience in the education sector whatsoever, no experience in elected politics. But and and if you look at Ben Carson, the department he was assigned to just, you know, he's a doctor and he just Mm -hmm. was was in housing and there just was nothing to do with him, I think. But again, a lot of people are like, well, you voted this man into office. You voted these MPs into parliament. You would expect that they would have the savvy and the knowledge and the intelligence to know who was best suited in which position. Yeah. And I just think that's, you know, you had, and again, like in the US as well, like their cabinet positions are not elected the same way they are in the UK. But it's just interesting that you're putting these people in positions of power, positions of influence, and they're not always the best suited people. And that's, you know, and it's more, you know, it's not just Republicans and Tories who've done that. Like we've oh, seen it's... that, like Tony Blair, I don't think is, you know, <laughs> he's probably definitely had a few questionable um, appointments himself. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I wonder, like, like we've seen it, like even like like obviously cabinet positions, everything like that, but then like unofficial positions, like with Trump, one that springs to mind again, Rudy Giuliani, his personal lawyer became a huge kind of public figure, and um, in the latter days of the Trump presidency, and I wonder, like, I don't know, like, will 
they utilize um people like this like like not their ministers but perhaps their special advisors kind of um different posts within their personal cabinet will they start using these more in the media so that oh my god this is so cynical of me but like when something like this happens like like Boris Johnson can just distance himself from Dominic Cunnings and be like that wasn't me and like use them to kind of do to kind of champion their more I guess policies that mightn't be as popular I just I I, I wonder is it and it probably is me jumping the gun a bit but I wonder is it like a new kind of media structure that we'll see kind of people going forward now because of this and especially with the traction Cunnings has gotten in the media and his like the fact that we all know about him like is because media outlets have engaged with him so I just wonder I don't know I'm like I think that because I totally agree with you Neve. I don't know how much Boris Johnson's political career is going to be affected by these re- revelations by Cunnings what I wonder though is like will the way politics interact with the public become different in the sense that will special advisors become more prominent because maybe people will see hey be, like Boris Johnson was able to save his bum even with these awful allegations because Cunnings said them and kind of I guess in uh, like to put it bluntly like took could take the fall for it yeah I do I think it's really I think that is an interesting thing to delve into I just think like even we are becoming more aware of them. Like even in Ireland, like, you know, Liz, um, we've seen the Secretary General of the Department of the Taoiseach. She's often, Liz Canavan. Yeah, Liz Canavan giving press conferences. And then we also saw the huge controversy with the new Secretary General of the Department of Health getting the huge pay increase, mm-hmm. you know, in conjunction with student nurses not getting any pay at all for working. So it's just like, you'd never hear of Secretary General's or even, you know, much about kind of the structures even in which um, the structure of roles within uh, different departments. And I just thought it was really interesting. Like Ireland, obviously in the UK and the US, they are far more sensationalist and they have more of celebrity. Again, I hate using that word. But I think like the way that the media interacts with uh, politicians in the UK and the US space is different to the way it is in Ireland. 100% agree with you. It's just interesting to see. I've never heard or seen really much of a secretary general to be honest maybe that's my ignorance no. or my i've just never seen it it's just been like there's the t-shock there's the tanisha there are the relevant ministers and tds and opposite, whatever that's it you yeah. never hear of them and now you see them giving press briefings or their big news their big news stories for weeks and you know their pay their payment their salaries discussed widely in the media and in the floors of the the Oireachtas. Mm-hmm. yeah no i completely like like i had never really heard anything at all and i'm pretty sure if i asked any of like my mom or anything like that like was it discussed in older generations I'd, I'd say probably not no and like you're like I'd say definitely the amount of media we consume now and the amount of stories that have been pumped out there probably is room to talk about them but also that in itself also lends to maybe their more prominence in public life which is very interesting and like very kind of yeah I did like I don't know how I don't know how that'll evolve but I'm interested to, to see how it will I think either way, we're not going to hear the end of Dominic Cummings. He is no. going to be in some element. He could go on and be like a political editor, a political communist is what, you know, a lot of, for, you mm-hmm. know, previous politicians. But I would really recommend anyone to watch Brexit, the Uncivil War. It's an excellent movie. Bender Cumberbatch is brilliant in it. Doesn't really look like him, but I mean, he plays <laughs> he the role brilliantly. He's but he's an excellent actor. I he's quite so like good. him. It's so good. Yeah, I watched it on Neve's recommendation and... I yeah I 
Brilliant. So, look, that's all we have for this week's episode of The Polling Pod. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to check out our new episodes that come out basically every week. So, yeah, that's all for this week. Bye.